industry that's about discovering the new you, right? You can get the right mindset. You can go to the Marriott for a weekend conference and get the right formula. Or, or if you lose weight or quit this or start that, it's a whole industry about the new you. Uh, and, and most of it, because of the current culture we're in, has to do with an obsession and focus on ourselves. And that's a big part of what we've been talking about in this part of Colossians. We, we live in a world right now where because of influences in thinkers and philosophers uh, over 100 years ago, almost 150 years ago, we tend to think that who we are, what makes us matter, our identity, our significance is found right here. In fact, we tell this to young people. We say to them in school that you can be whatever you want to be and, and, and you can create yourself and don't let anybody tell you who you are. Have you ever thought about how much pressure that puts on a person? That it's up to you to figure out and make who you are without any inputs from those things that are outside of you. Without this sense that you came from someplace, that there were those who came before you that did things that matter and shape who you are, that you are part of something, that there are other people out there who are trying to figure out who they are and, and they have things that are important and part of who you are is how you relate to them. As well as this idea that I'm going somewhere, that I've been handed something that now I'm in charge of to be given on to those who come after me. And oh, by the way, there's this God. And, and that all of those things are part of shaping who you are. Uh, last week we started this series, and I don't know about you, but I was once again surprised by the Scriptures because the Scriptures has a very different narrative about how you figure out who you are, what your identity, why you matter, what your significance is. And it's not about focusing on yourself. The Scripture is just exceptionally clear that the, the key to ultimately finding out your identity and your destiny and who you are and why you matter is when you die to yourself. That there's actually this understanding that, that there's a part of me that needs to go away. It needs to die. It needs to be rejected. It needs to be understood as the past. It's called the old man. It's described as clothing we take off. And it says that this person is dead. And, and actually, the Apostle Paul says it very starkly. He says, I die daily to who I used to be that I might move towards who I'm ultimately going to be. The other thing that surprised me about the text last week is this understanding that that that. It's not about focusing on figuring out my identity or creating myself or creating the right image or any of those kinds of things that ultimately who we are, why we're significant, our identity won't actually be revealed to us until eternity. That is to say in eternity, the Bible says things like you'll be given a new name that'll be only known to you and to God. And the whole understanding there is that, that who you will really be will be in your heart and your mind and God will know and you will know it will shape you. And until then, rather than obsessing on myself, I should trust that, as Paul says and said in Colossians last week, that my life is hidden with God in Christ. And so now I can have this glorious, wonderful gift of forgetting about myself and becoming aware of so many other wonderful people, things before me, behind me, ahead of me, around me, and I can be free. I was listening to a, a podcast where one psychologist was interviewing another psychologist this week and was talking about a study, and long story short, fairly complicated, arrived at this conclusion that study after study has shown that the more a person focuses on themselves, the more their anxiety grows up. And the people who find the best 
hope for overcoming anxiety are people who are able to forget about themselves to some healthy degree and be concerned about those who are around them and become part of something bigger than themselves that they invest themselves in, that they give themselves in. And, and they find when that happens that something called happiness and contentment sneaks up on them. And, and funny thing is, that's exactly what the scriptures say. And so in this series called The Hidden Life, we are talking about what it means to move away from that old person who died and to come alive in Christ. What it means to understand that I am taking off, literally taking, not literally, but figuratively taking off this old self and putting on a new self that I might be more in Christ. And, and what I really want you to get today is that what I want to show you today from the scriptures, I pray it grips you because it is a glorious vision of what you could be. It is you, full of Christ, your absolute best. Here's one of the mistakes we make about this whole conversation we have about being uh, discovering ourselves and our identity. We tend to decide who we are and then live up to it. This Christian perspective is different. It is that we start living and doing and becoming and who we are is defined by how we live and how we love. And so our destiny is something that's discovered rather than something we decide on and then we move towards. And so what's being described here in the scripture today is a vision for your life that when you become like this, when, when Christ grips you and he becomes your life, then, 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 my goodness, you become something beautiful. But it all starts with the basic teaching of Jesus who said this about self. He said this. He said, do you want to find your life? Do you want to save your life? That's what he literally said. Do you want a life that's worth living and, and saves you and, and, and saves a life of meaning and purpose? You want to save your life? He says, then you're going to have to learn to lose your life. For anyone who loses his life for me and for the gospel actually finds their life. And so you want to understand who you are? Well, you need to, you need to let the old die and let a new thing come alive. And, and this is what we're discovering. So what we've been saying in this series is this, is that we stand in Christ. And again, Apostle Paul is fixated, just obsessed with this concept of being in Christ, what it means, what it practically means in everyday living. We stand in Christ when we put away, and that's what we talked about last week. There are things we need to put away, things like wrath, and self-pity, and selfishness, and anger. We need to put away, you know, all, all the attitudes of, of revenge, and power, and, and image. He says we need to put those things away, what we used to be, or what has died, as the Apostle Paul says, to put on our new selves. So imagine yourself taking off an old, smelly, horrible old thing that was just a burden, all wet and nasty, and you were made clean, and then you put on something that is glorious and white. And just like we saw in the, in the bumper coming in, it's full of glory and beauty and, and, and the transcendence. It's a beautiful thing. So we put on our new self, choosing the way of Christ in whatever we do, because, because we're, we're, we're learning to be like Christ. The more we become like Christ, the more we understand that is, as Apostle Paul says, no longer I who lives, but Christ who expresses and lives himself in me. So that I understand the best version of myself I can be is when Christ is, is just lived out in me. This week specifically, we're, we're saying to be in Christ is to live in Christ. <coughs> 
by putting on the new self. Last week, we talked about taking off the old self. This week, we're talking about putting on the new self. Now, the foundation of all of this is this verse. Now, this is the verse we've looked at. And by the way, this is the verse we're going to look at again because we have no idea how radical this verse is. This verse is the foundation of, of, of every human relationship as a Christian. And, and it's radical and it's different. So remember how Colossians starts. It starts with this incredible conversation that there is a God and he is good and beautiful. And everything that is good and beautiful is defined by him. And the pursuit of the good and beautiful, the learning, the discovery is all an act of worship. And this God is a creator God. And so the world was created. So to learn about the world is to learn about God. And the ultimate expression of what he created was human beings. That he made every person in his image and therefore every person worth the dignity and radical love and acceptance this verse is all about that and the ultimate example of what it means to be a human being the example we're meant to follow is the perfect image the perfect icon of God which is Jesus Christ this is the foundation this is the conclusion from all of that truth where he says this he says and and and, and again we cannot appreciate how radical this is Okay, so, so he says, here there is no Greek or Jew. Now, his original audience would have been highly offended by that. So they would have heard this and they said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, the Apostle Paul. The Jews who would have heard this, they would have said, listen, we're Jews. We're God's chosen people. We're the special one. And sure, those Greeks, those non-Jews can be part of the group too, but they got to come and they got to get circumcised. They got to eat our food. They got to do the thing because what makes them chosen is becoming Jewish. And the Apostle Paul said, no, no, no. What makes them chosen is becoming in Christ. The thing that makes them part of God's family is that they're in Christ. And so they don't need any of the rituals and the rules. They are included. And so this was radical. And it says, there's no circumcision or uncircumcision. They said, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, we've got verses in the Old Testament that says that God's chosen people are supposed to be circumcised. You're saying that doesn't matter anymore? He said, no religious rituals matter anymore because what matters is being in Christ, a relationship, a personal relationship with the person of Christ. He says, there's no barbarian or Scythian. They would have said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Now, this is where the Romans would have got upset. said, you're telling us that those barbarians and those Scythians who we went out and we conquered and then we made them slaves? I mean, you're telling them they're the same as us? They're humans like we are? Because our understanding as Romans is that the Roman gods favored us, allowed us to conquer them, and they're getting what they deserve because they were conquered and they should be slaves. And you're saying that whole thing is wrong? Paul says, in Christ, it all goes away. He says there's no slave and free. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let me get this straight. I am master of my villa and I have all these slaves. I can do anything I want to, anything, and they did anything I want to. And now you're telling me that slave is created in the image of God. And now that they're Christians, that means they're my brother and my sister and I should treat them accordingly? Holy cow, what, 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 what? This is an offensive verse. He says, slavery, he says, but Christ, look at this, is all. So what unites it all, what pulls it all together is Christ. Look at this, and is in all. And they would have said, are you telling me Christ will go and sinners and Gentiles and slaves and women for goodness sake. So you out of your mind, the apostle Paul? And this would have been highly, highly offensive to everything they said. Now this is the foundation. This is the game changer, okay? And so 
what he's about to say is the person you are going to be, the person you are putting on, is setting you up to live out how you treat people, how you love people. Because here's, here's a little spoiler alert. After we're done with the Hidden, Hidden Life series, for Christmas, we're going to do the end of Colossians, and that is all about relationships. That is all about how we treat people in light of all of this. The radical, different vision Jesus has for inclusion for love, for acceptance, that whosoever will. This idea, and we don't realize how radical it is, that God is the God of all the earth. And, and so often Christians are accused of having an exclusive view. There's nothing more inclusive than this because the Romans would have had the understanding that this God is for this region and this region and this region. Different people have different gods. And Christianity and, and, and just said, no, 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 he's Lord of all the earth. And this God so loved the world that whosoever will can come. It's all about whether or not you'll come to be in Christ. And so, so this verse is the foundation we're going to keep coming back and back and back to. It's going to set the tone for everything. Let's take a look at what it means and what we are supposed to put off. So again, remember, it starts by putting some things on. Ah, oh, uh, putting some things off. That's what we looked at last week. So he says, put on then. Again, this word then is like a therefore. Based on everything we've said so far, your response is to put some things on, to make some choices, to choose the kind of person you're going to be moving towards your new destiny, moving away from your old dead self that you used to be. The, remember last week we talked again about the things you're supposed to put off. Things like wrath and anger and slander and bitter thoughts and unforgiveness. Those are part of the old dead you. And some of us are living, you know, just, just like that dead person was still alive. There, there's a, a story I've told before about the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire, brutal people. And they found creative ways to torture people. They came up with ants, uh, honey on your face and releasing ants. It, they're those folks. Well, one of their tortures was they would bring a person out into the wilderness, into the desert, really dry area, and they'd bring them close enough that they could get to water, but then they would chain a body to them. So they had to drag that dead body to try to get to water. Some of us are living spiritually like that that we are chained to who we used to be with regrets and, 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 and we're holding on to that's who I used to be. And here's the funny thing, is Christ has actually unlocked the chain. And so this is a call to say, I'm gonna put that away, who I used to be. I'm gonna start moving towards who I am becoming. I'm gonna put some things on. What then should we put on? Put on then, first of all, again, he gives us a glimpse of our identity as God's chosen people. Again, the Jews would have said, wait a minute. The Jews are God's chosen people. Okay, And what Paul wants to say is, no, the church, the people of God, they're the ones who are in Christ. And, and we're not going to make it so you have to become Jewish to become one of God's chosen people. He said, all of you who are in Christ have been chosen. You've been wanted. You've been set aside. God wanted you. And so you are God's chosen people when you become in Christ. Look at this, holy. The word holy is a wonderful word. I hate the fact that the word holy tends to be confused with the word religious. What the word holy literally means is special. Something special and significant for God. You are meant to be special and significant for God. You're something precious. That's why you don't muck around in the, the dirt of sin and the brokenness and who you used to be because that's no longer who I am. That person is dead. I now am alive in Christ and, and, and I, I'm supposed to be filled with good things, beautiful things. I am holy. And look at this, and beloved. 
The word beloved is love demonstrated, love in action. You could not be loved more than you are. And it's not about what you do. It's not about what you put on or even what you put off. It's about what Christ did for you on the cross. God has made you his son, his daughter. You are the beloved of God. You say, how do I know that? Well, because of the cross. Because God proved it. It says, while we were still sinners when we were still dead in our sin, when we were under the wrath of God, God demonstrated his love for us. He proved it by making us the beloved, by sending his son to die in our place, to take our punishment. And he did that so that we could be included, so that he could call you beloved. It's love in action. And he says, that's now who you are. That's what's been given to you. And again, this in a minute is going to be the springboard into how we live. And so again, we put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, look at this, compassionate hearts. Compassion is a wonderful word. What it literally means in the Greek is to suffer with. That is to say, um, to stand alongside someone who is hurting. Now, not owning their problems or taking it off their hands, but to, to, to know in the midst of it that they are not alone. They have help. They have support in what they're going through. You feel their pain. You literally choose to take on suffering. Now, it's very different than another word that's very popular today, the word empathy. Because here's the word empathy. The word empathy means I can feel what you're feeling, but I don't really care. I understand what you're going through. I appreciate how you feel that way. But you know what? That's you. That's your problem. I'm not going to take it on. Compassion is the person who will step in. It's, it's, it's exemplified in the example of Jesus in the Christmas season we're about to celebrate in what's called the incarnation. The idea that God became human. Why? So he could feel so he could be compassionate, so he would understand what it was like to be tired and hungry, and, and he could say, I do understand, and I'm stepping into your pain, and I'm taking on suffering, which is exemplified ultimately in the picture of the cross. And so this example is, again, what we're called to put on. He says, you also put on kindness. Kindness is just one of my favorite words. My kids growing up were forever hearing me talk about kindness, about how they treated each other, about how they looked at every person, that in this world that is so harsh, there's just a wonderful, glorious, beautiful picture of a person who just does good with, from a good heart that makes me feel safe and warm and protected, and they don't have any benefit from doing it. it it's holding doors open. It's coming alongside people. It's turning, giving a kind word when a person is expecting a harsh word. It's taking the high ground. It's forgiving. It's a beautiful word. If there's one thing at the end of my life, I hope people say about me that they saw in me because really who I was is that he was kind. He actually was just, he was kind. I just felt safe because there was a goodness that came in how he said, and how he treated, and how he responded, even when he was tired, even when he was angry. And I'm light years from this, trust me. But, but, but at the end of the day, kindness. This is what you could be. This is what you could be in Christ. This is a vision for your life. And then meekness. Meekness has become one of my favorite words, but it's a word that's held in contempt in our individualistic, tough society that we live in because of this. We confuse the word meekness with the word weakness, okay? We think that to be meek is to be weak. Now, here's what you need to understand. Jesus is never in the Bible described as weak. I mean, he said to his disciples, look, I'm going to the cross, but I'm not doing it because I'm weak. He said, I could call 10,000 angels. I could come down on the cross anytime. I mean, I have the ability to raise people from the dead, okay? I could handle this if I was just going to power up. I am not weak. 
But over and over again, Jesus said, I am meek and lowly of heart. He said, the meek will inherit the earth. So what's the difference between weakness and meekness? Weakness is, I can't do anything because I'm just weak. We are never called to be weak. We're often called to be aware of our weakness that would lead us to God, that we might be strong in God, but we're never called to stay weak. So what is meekness? Meekness is a person who does have power does have influence, does have ability. And rather than using it in the way the world tends to want us to use it, to get control, to dominate people, to protect yourself, to do whatever, to make yourself significant, this person submits their strength and uses it for the common good. They make their power something that is about service and sacrifice and love. And I tell you what, meekness requires the most courage, it requires the most bravery. Only the strong will be meek. Only the ones who realize, I could power up and take control of this, but that wouldn't help. What needed is this. And this is a person who is wise and discerning. And so the call to be meek is a call to be a powerful person, but a person who understands the best thing I can do with my power is to use it for the common good. You say, where do you get that? Jesus! who came to earth with all power and glory, and he said he served and he sacrificed. He asked his disciples a question. He says, he says, who's greater? The one who sits at the table or the one who's serving the one who sits at the table? He says, the whole world will say it's the one serving at the table. He says, but then why am I among you as one who serves? He said in another place, he said, the Lord of the Gentiles lord it over you. They use their power to control you and dominate you. And then they say, we're doing you a favor. We're your benefactors. He says, not so with you. He says, the first will be last. They'll be like a child. They will serve. He says, this is my ethic. This is what a truly powerful man does. This is what a truly powerful woman does. They, they invest in meekness. It's a powerful, glorious word. It is that which is worth being aspired to. This is what you could be in Christ. He goes on and adds this other word, patience. The old King James got it right. The old King James calls it long-suffering. The ability, and, and by the way, this word is usually connected in the scriptures, like in um, um, uh, 1 Peter and um, um, John and 1 John, with words like character, endurance, uh, um, uh, ability like resilience, you know, um, um, ability to get through things. So patience is this ability to stick with something that's difficult, that's annoying, that seems unnecessary, that I shouldn't have to put up with, but I'm putting up with it. And it's the ability to do it with a happy heart, a good attitude, a positive tone, because that's usually what people need to see, especially if you're a leader, and not this attitude of, oh, I can't believe I had to do this and this again, and boy, someone's gonna lose it because I'm gonna take their head off that I have to do this again. Okay, that is not patience. That is the opposite. Uh, a meek, a wise leader comes back and says, okay, this is it. This is the reality we got to deal with. All right, what's the path forward? Okay, what's right about this? Let's forget about what's wrong and let's go forward. That is patience. And it's so glorious. It's so beautiful when you see it. It's like a work of art. I mean, it's, it's the most wonderful, wonderful thing. So he says, add patience. Watch this. And then he talks about getting closer and closer to specific relationships, bearing with one another, and, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And so this is just Paul being real. He says, now, guys, I'm not naive here. I understand if you start being compassionate and wise, there's some people going to take advantage of it. It's going to get messy. He says, he says you got to bear with people. 
got to have your understanding. I don't give up on people. I don't burn bridges. I, I go the extra mile. I, I start with the log in my own eye. I turn the other cheek. I live by Jesus' ethic, okay? I'm going to bear with one another. And in addition to this, if someone has a complaint against each other, so conflict, and oh, none of you have conflicts, but some of us have conflicts. So, so, so here's the deal. When that happens, are you going to react and handle it like the world? Are you going to figure out how Jesus would respect, respond, which takes wisdom and insight? And this whole thing of forgiveness, forgiveness just needs to be the language of a Christian. And how to forgive well, and people say, well, if I forgive, do I just pretend it never happened? Or what if the person hurts me again? What if they're not safe? All those kinds of things. This is where the rubber hits the road. Now, now I want to let you know what's coming up. After Christmas, and have Christmas, it's going to be beautiful. And then after the first of the year, we are going to spend the next several months of the rest of the teaching year working on relationships. We are going to do a series that talks deeply about past pain and trauma uh, from the book of Lamentations in Jeremiah. We're going to do a series called Creative Conflict where we look at Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount and show how to do this in a wise way where you don't continue to be victimized but you also learn to stand for yourself and help and how, how you can, can create a, a, a relationship so that people can find a way to walk together where we, we grow in incredible ways. We're actually bringing in a one-day seminar called Peacemakers. And on top of that, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing the second part of emotionally healthy discipleship, which is called emotionally healthy relationships. And so you're going to want to get in this because it's going to fill up. And it's just, it's all about saying, okay, I want to learn how to be really good at all this stuff. I want to be proficient at this because I want not just to seem, I actually want to be wise. I don't want to just seem good. I want to be good. I don't want to just seem compassionate. I want to be compassionate. I want to do it in a wise and a good way. I want to learn how forgiveness works and how to have conflict in a healthy way so that I might be a person who, who just makes things better. This is the vision of what you can be. He, he ends by saying, uh, saying that the pinnacle of this is love. And above all these things, look at this, put on love. Put on love. Put on love. Because what does he say? He says, which binds everything together. That when your heart is that heart of love, and it just makes everything bound together in perfect harmony. It pulls it together. And I'm constantly coming back. Am I loving this person? Am I loving in this situation? Am I heart full of love? Or is it full of bitterness and resentment and, 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 and negativity and cynicism and all the other things that, that are all part of the old dead man? It, it, it's hard to overestimate the, the, the example of love in a Christian's life. There's no indicator that is greater about whether or not you're living in Christ, whether you're, you're living the Christian life, than love and how it expresses itself. And someone might say, well, how do you know what love is? There's, there's two big reasons, two big things that show us. One is 1 Corinthians 13. It's a verse we read at weddings, and you're not listening because you're looking at the bride and groom, but this is what it says. 1 Corinthians 13 says, you can make it all about the big words you use, but you just sound like a noisy gong. He says, you can make it all about the big showy acts you do to help people. He says, but if it's not love, it's just, it's rubbish. He says, you can make it all about how much you know and how smart you are and all the things you can say, but if there's no love in it, he says, it, it means nothing. He says, so what is love? He says, love is patient. It's kind. It keeps no records of wrongs. It, it keeps no record of wrongs. It goes the extra mile. Uh, love love, love uh, 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 is gentle. It is wise. He says, at the end of the day, you're a child and you'll grow up and put childish things away. How you know you're really mature and growing up. He says, well, there'll be three things that'll remain. Faith and all the things we've been saying in Colossians. Hope, because Christians need to be people of hope. He says, but the greatest of these is love. And so that's one of the ways we know what love is. You know what the other example of love is? Jesus. 
church people, come on. All right, so Jesus, all right, everything he did, everything he taught, every example, he who being in very nature of God made himself nothing, that's meekness, taking on the very nature of a servant, and he humbled himself and became obedient. He became obedient and obedient even to death on a cross. Okay, therefore God has exalted him to the highest place because God's saying, that's what I'm talking about. That kind of service and meekness, that is the thing. That is what you could be. That is the destiny that God has for you. And it's all found in love. And so the big question we want to ask today is what do you need to put on? Last week we talked about the things we need to do to, to put off, the things we need to, to put away, and, and it was wrath and slander and, and judgmentalism, even judgmentalism against yourself, understanding your old person is dead. Someone asked me about it between services. You know what I recommended they do? And maybe someone here needs to do that. I said, because they just, they, I just got to make up for what I did. I was just so bad and all these things. I said, listen, listen, that's been forgiven Christ. You know what you need to do? You need to have a funeral for that person because that person is dead. And so what I want you to do is get a piece of paper and write everything you regret that you did, all of it. Just write it all down, okay? And then just write on the top of it, dead or canceled or paid. And then I want you to rip that thing up and then I want you to burn it because who you used to be is dead. And then I want you to turn your eyes forward and remember the admonition to Paul again. Forgetting what is behind, I press on towards what is ahead for the upward call of Christ and the prize that is waiting for me to be like Christ and moving towards my destiny. I'm going to put off some things that I might put on some things. And so there's an opportunity for you to say, have I got a compassionate heart? Or has my heart been full of harshness and judgment and anger? Have I got an unforgiving spirit right now? Is there a person who I need to forgive? And it's complicated because they're maybe not a safe person, but what does forgiveness look like without me getting hurt again? And I got, but I got I to forgive. And, and maybe for you, it, it, it looks like, like, like some other aspect of what we just saw in this. It's a kindness. You've been harsh instead of kind. And, and so there's an opportunity for you to say, I just want to rediscover it. And, and we have a wonderful gift, a tool here that's going to allow us to do that. And it's communion. And some of you said, hey, didn't we do communion last week? And yeah. And guess what we're going to do next week? Communion. Thank you. There's a couple who caught up. I appreciate it. Rest of you learn from this example. No, I'm, I'm just. So, so here's the deal. We're going to do communion. So why are we doing communion three weeks in a row? One, because we haven't been able to do it like this for a while. But the bigger reason is that in the midst of communion is the power to enter back into the hidden life. For you to remember, oh yeah, Jesus. Everything he did, everything he said, he's not part of my life. He is my life. My life is hidden with God and Christ. So I'm going to, instead of thinking about myself all the time, I'm going to think about him. And then I'm going to think about the people who wants me to love. I'm going to think about the mission that I'm part of that's bigger than myself. I'm going to understand that I've been handed something by those who've gone before me, and I'm going to manage it really well so I can hand it to those who've gone, and that I'm moving towards an eternal destiny. I haven't got time to focus on myself, okay? I've got to, I've got to focus on, on who Christ is. One of the words that was in the list that I, I just realized now I didn't talk about in this message was humility. You know what humility is? Humility, obviously, is not exalting yourself. That's clearly pride. But neither is it degrading yourself. That is to say, I'm horrible, I'm terrible. It's not the pretty girl saying, she, oh, I'm not pretty. It's not the good athlete saying, I'm not a good athlete. Instead, humility, that's actually another form of pride. It's just another way of you obsessing about yourself. You know what humility really is? It's the art of forgetting yourself. It's the art of, 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 of thinking about others, thinking about God, thinking about the mission you're on, thinking about all the beautiful things there are to discover this world so you don't even have time to worry about 
yourself. And, and that's what communion can do, is it can come back and can remind us. Because this is what happens at communion. Communion is the time where we remember, okay? Um, I'm going to go ahead and ask the ushers to come on forward as they come to prepare communion. Um, and as they're coming forward, this is what communion is. It, it, it's a reminder that on the night before Jesus died, he gathered up his disciples and he said, boy, I have eagerly desired to share this with you. And it, his heart was, you're going to need this, okay? You're going to need this. And so, and so his, his whole heart was, was, was that, that I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you this piece of bread. And this piece of bread is going to represent my body. And what that means is, is that I actually became a person. I actually had a physical body. I lived and I walked around and I taught you how to live. I, I who was God, became man. I became embodied for you. And this body is going to be broken. And because it's broken, it will discover healing for you and a salvation for you. He says, I want you to see all this is and the example of this. And I want you to do this and remember me and, and let it change you. And then there's this cup. This cup, he says, is the cup of the new and the everlasting relationship. It's a new way of thinking about how you relate to God, how you relate to yourself, but, but how you relate to people. It says, this cup represents my life. The blood will be poured out. And so even as that my life is poured out, you will, I will lose my life that you might have life. And in this is a message of sacrifice and service and forgiveness. Totally redefines relationship. It means that every person you meet is valuable and wonderful and is worthy of love. And so when you remember what I did by giving my life for someone like you and me, think about how you treat people, how you interact with people. And so whenever we remind that, it's an opportunity for us to come and let the Holy Spirit say to us, man, what needs to be taken off? What needs to be, that's just, that's not who I am. That person's dead. The, the forgiveness, the bitterness, the pride, the self-obsession, you know, all that, that just dies. And what needs to be put on? What needs to be put on are things like gentleness and wisdom and humility, things like patience and kindness and goodness, because that's ultimately who I'm going to be in Christ, in heaven. In heaven, you know what it says about you in heaven? It says God has raised you up with Christ and seated you with him in heavenly places so that he can display just how beautiful you are. You are a masterpiece. The literal Greek word is masterpiece there. You are his masterpiece to declare through all creation. That is what I'm moving towards. And so communion is an opportunity for us to recenter. And so that's what we're going to do. And let me say a couple things about communion. Uh, here at Jake as well, we don't have a lot of rules about communion. Uh, so we don't believe that anything supernatural happens to the actual elements, the bread and the cup. Um, we actually believe the miracle happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross and provided salvation for us. So we don't put faith in having communion. We celebrate the faith we have in Christ through communion. It's a, a little different approach. And so what that means is um, we welcome folks to come to communion. So here's the deal. If you believe that Jesus really lived... If you believe he really died on the cross, if you believe um, uh, that he rose from the dead and that he's coming again, okay, and you want to, you're a follower of Jesus, well, then you're welcome to come have communion. Even if you're a visitor, you don't come here regularly. But this is an opportunity, not for you to just come and participate, but for you to come and to think, who was Jesus? What was he like? And, and what could I do to become like him? The Apostle Paul warns that we shouldn't have communion in a way that is casual or a way that we, we just make it an empty ritual. But instead, it's an opportunity for us to rediscover Christ and that our life is hidden with God in Christ. Who we are, man, we are moving towards. It will be revealed. And so because it's in the hands of God, I can let it go. I'm free to love God and to love people. And communion helps us rediscover that. So in that spirit, let's just take a minute to quiet ourselves in prayer. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to this room. 
We invite you to fill the, the, the music, the elements, our own hearts. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to come to us and we want to ask the honest question, what do I need to put off? Right now, Holy Spirit, you're speaking to hundreds of people specifically about something that they need to let go of, something they need to change, something they need to confess, something they need to put off. Don't let them get trapped in the regret or the self-loathing. We're just giving it to you, Lord Jesus, and it, it is dead, it is buried, it is gone. And then we just want to ask, what do we need to put on? And maybe there's just one part of this message that spoke. Maybe there's a person who recognizes uh, that they're into control and they use their power aggressively at work or school or in some way, and they need to discover their meekness and service and love. Maybe there's another person who needs to discover humility or gentleness. Maybe there's a person who recognizes their heart has grown hard and they've lost compassion, maybe because it's just they're hurt. Father God, I just pray that, that whatever it is we need to put on, you would just help us take a step to move towards that ultimate destiny that will be revealed when you are revealed of who we are. And we're given a new name and a new identity that's most perfect. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would just receive our gratitude this Thanksgiving week, that you died on the cross for us, that when we put our faith and trust in you, we are given forgiveness of sins. We are given inclusion in your family. We are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. We are given a new destiny. And all that is because of your work on the cross. Let our ambition to be like you, to serve like you, to love like you. May all this just be knit together and held together in love. May it just be in perfect harmony. May we be known as a church and as individuals who are people of love. Even if people disagree with us, even if they're angry with us, may they know that we are people of love. And Father, may that just honor you and glorify you. And may as we come to this communion, just deepen it in our hearts. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I welcome you to come to communion.